try our best to give you what's on our heart. Preach chapel at the school today and dealt with these verses and tried to pray and ask the Lord about the service tonight and couldn't really get away from these and so I just want to try to be obedient to Him and ask that you'd pray for us tonight that the Lord would touch us and help us. We might say something that would be a help and a blessing to you. That's my heart's desires that we be helped and uh, to be a blessing to people of God tonight. First Kings chapter 19, when you found your place, if you're able and willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. First Kings chapter 19, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness came and sat down under a juniper tree. He requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. He arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days, and forty nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Now as we read this scripture here in First Kings chapter number 19, we're kind of introduced to a different picture of this man of God by the name of Elijah than we've seen before. I thought about when we think about Elijah, there are some passages of scripture that almost always come to our mind. I would think that chapter number 17 would always be one of those scriptures that would come to our mind when we think about this man of God by the name of Elijah. For reading chapter 17 where he comes out of nowhere seemingly with the message of God to King Ahab because of the wickedness of Ahab. We know the Bible tells us that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings that were before him. And because of his wickedness, Elijah had the message from God 
that the heaven would not be ascending forth rain and there'd be no dew on the earth until the Lord sent word again. And we know according to the book of James that for the space of three years and six months it didn't rain and the dew didn't fall on the earth and everything in the land died. All the grass dried up, the crops died, the animals began to die because they didn't have anything to eat, no doubt. Even though it may not be recorded in the scriptures, you go for that length of time without any water, people will begin to die. And the whole land's in turmoil. Of course, we know that according to 1 Kings 17, that God tells Elijah to turn and hide himself down by the wood, that he's commanded the ravens to feed him there. We read that the ravens are bringing bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening, and he drinks of the bread. And so that's what we think about when we think about Elijah. We think about the man of God sitting by the bread where God is taking care and providing for him in the midst of the famine and the turmoil that's going on all around him. And then we think about when the brook dries up that the word of God comes to him and says, go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And we think about the story where he walks through the gate of the city and there's that widow woman gathering sticks and he calls to her and said, will you bring me a morsel of bread in thy hand? He said, I don't, as the Lord liveth and as I so liveth. She said, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in the barrel and a little oil in the cruise. I've got these two sticks. I'm going in going to dress it for me and my son and we're going to eat it and we're going to die. And then of course the word of God comes through Elijah and Elijah says to her, fear not, go and do as I said but make me a cake first and then for thee and thy son for the Lord said that the barrel of meal shall not waste neither shall the crucible fail till the day that he sends rain on the earth. And so when we think about Elijah we see him sitting at the widow's table with his son eating and drinking while God's taking care of them in the midst of all the trouble, in the midst of all the turmoil when the world outside the widow's house don't know where the next meal's coming from all the while inside the house behind the door God has taken care of his man and of the people that have taken care of his man for God we think about that when we think about Elijah we think about chapter 18 where the word of God comes and says go and show yourself to Ahab and Elijah does so and said send and gather to me all Israel the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove and bring them to Mount Carmel and we're going to settle it once and for all who is God and Elijah stands in any scripture in any story comes to our mind about Elijah it would be this one where Elijah stands on top of the mountain and he says how long halt you between two opinions if God's God then serve him but if Baal's God then serve him and he got a block and they got one and he allowed them to go first they put it on their altar they cut themselves they cried from morning to evening and nobody heard and nobody answered and nothing happened. But then the man of God rebuilt the altar of God that was
was broken down, he bowed and he prayed. And the Bible said the fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And when we think about Elijah, we think about him calling for water. Go get the water and pour it on the sacrifice until it filled the trench and it was round about the altar. And when we think about Elijah, we think about the fire falling and consuming the sacrifice, the altar, and licking up the dust that's in the trench. And when we think about Elijah, we think about him slaying the prophets in their bread running down the brook to send the message that God is God and nobody else. And when we think about Elijah, these are the things we think about. I thought about when we think about Elijah, one of the scriptures that always comes to my mind is 2 Kings chapter 1. When he's called Elisha, it's about time for Elijah to go. And Elijah knows it, and Elisha knows it. And they begin that journey. They leave and go to Gilgal, then to Jericho, then to Jordan. And they cross over on dry ground. And then Elijah's received out of his sight by a whirlwind into heaven and the mantle of the man of God. It falls back. Elisha picks it up and carries the word that Elijah started. But those are the things we think about. And when we think about Elijah, but those are mountaintop experiences those are victories those are the times it's easy to think about those are the times that make us stir us in our soul and make us want to shout but what about God recording in the midst of it all 1 Kings chapter 19 a very different story in the life of this man of God by the name of Elijah and here in this scripture, Elijah has come to the place where he wants to quit. He wants to give up. He has had enough. In verse number four, I was reading God began to work in my heart. Here are these three words that we tried to preach about at Cole's Cole, but they're very different here than they were in Genesis 45. In Genesis 45, there are reason to rejoice. In Genesis 45, it's enough that Joseph Joseph is alive. There's evidence, but here in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah's saying, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. If you look up these three words in your Strong's Concordance in the Hebrew, they are not three separate words, but they are all one word together. And it means that it's too much. It is too much to bear. Elijah said in our terminology, not it's enough, but I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. But here's the reality. Now this is a perfect picture. I thought about it and God began to bring back to my heart and my mind. I'm not going to re-preach what I preach on Sunday morning, but what better picture could there be of being not living through the Spirit but living through the flesh? When we think about what has happened in chapter number 18, how Elijah has been the witness, has been the vessel, has been the usable one, not to one, not to two, but to three miracles back to back to back speaks of the nature of our flesh I mean Elijah's the one now the power came from God but God chose to let Elijah play a part God used Elijah and it was Elijah that prayed and it was Elijah's prayer that God answered and he answered by fire on Carmel what a miracle 
that Elijah was there. Elijah experienced it. Elijah was allowed to be a part of it. You would think that after that miracle, there's no way Elijah could be where he is now. But that's not the only thing. Not only did Elijah get his prayer answered by fire from heaven, but Elijah goes up to the mountain to pray with his servant who were only introduced to in chapter 18. And then he's mentioned again here in chapter 19. And he goes up to the mountain, he bows himself. And the Bible said, put his face between his knees and begin to pray. And he said, servant, go out yonder and tell me what you see. The servant said, I don't see anything. And the Bible said he sent him yet seven times. And on the seventh time, while the man of God's praying, he's already prayed and God's answered by fire. But he's fixing to get ready to pray and God's going to send an abundance of rain after three and a half years of drought. And the servant comes back and he says, I, I see something this time. And Elijah says, you do? He said, yeah, it ain't much. He said, but I see a little cloud arising out of the sea about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, tell Ahab to get up and head back to Jezreel for I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And the servant did so. And the Bible said, in the meanwhile, the heavens were black and there was a great rain. After three and a half years, you would think that there's no way Elijah could be back on the bottom. You would think that Elijah would be skipping and jumping and shouting and that nothing could ever bring Elijah back down. But that's not the end. While Ahab's getting on his chariot and his horse is pulling him back to Jezreel, the Bible said the hand of God comes on Elijah. He girds his legs together and he outruns the horse and chariot back to Jezreel. I mean, here's a man. He's been answered by fire. He's prayed and there's been an abundance of rain. He's been given the ability to outrun a horse and chariot. I mean, what more could you ask for? How could he ever be on the bottom again? But ain't that just like me and you? You say, preacher, I ain't never seen fire fall from heaven. Well, you may not have. But if you're here tonight and saved, you've seen a greater miracle than fire falling from heaven. If you're here tonight and God's protecting you and keeping you at ears, if you belong to Him, then we've seen miracles just like this. But in all the goodness and all the glory and all the grace of God, it would seem like if we would take account of our life and all we've seen and all we've experienced, that there's no way we can ever be on the bottom. And the Bible said that Jezebel was told by Ahab what Elijah did. See, he killed them 400 prophet, 450 prophets of Baal and he killed them 400 prophets of the grove. And it made Jezebel angry because they was on her payroll. The prophets of the grove sat at Jezebel's table. They told Jezebel what she wanted to hear. They condoned the sin that Jezebel and Ahab were committing. But they were them that got to tickle the ears and tell their congregation exactly what they wanted to hear. And when Jezebel didn't have that anymore, she got angry. And she said the gods, little G, Paul, the gods she serves, the gods she believes in, she said they do so more to me. And likewise, if I don't make your life like their life tomorrow. In other words, she said, I'm going to kill you like you killed my prophets. And the Bible said when Elijah heard it. Now you would think, I mean, God's answered by fire. 
God has showed I mean, here's the man of God that settled all the strife in the hearts of the people of Israel. Here's the man of God that preached a revival, so to speak, that reunited the hearts of Israel with the heart of God again in just the previous chapter about when trouble comes and circumstances change. It's a whole lot different in Elijah's life. Oh, it's easy to be on the mountain when everybody else is around. I mean, all Israel was around him when he was on top of the mountain. His servant was there, no doubt cheering him on and supporting him all the way. But now things have changed. Everybody else has went back to their house. Everybody else is afraid of Jezebel. Nobody wants to cross her. Nobody wants to do wrong by her. And now she said, I'm going to kill the man of God because of what he's done. And the Bible said when he saw that, that he arose and he fled for his life. And I'm going to tell you, it's the same. You say, preacher, we're in the Old Testament. Don't matter. It's the same process for you and I tonight to go from the mountaintop down to the bottom of the valley and to feel like we're all alone and to say I've had enough I can't take it anymore I believe there's probably somebody in the building tonight if you ain't there yet you may be on your way to get into the place in the bottom of your barrel in the bottom of your valley I mean Elijah's watched God work in the bottom of the little woman's barrel and it's easy to shout there because he wasn't at the bottom she was but now he's at the bottom but I'm going to tell you the same God that worked in the bottom of the widow's bowl can work at the bottom in Elijah's life and he will work but Elijah gets to the place and he said I can't take it anymore I've had enough you say how could he get from 1 Kings 17 1 Kings 18 to where he is now how how can it come about well it's the same process that happens to me and you and the first thing that happened to Elijah is he felt like he was all alone. See, I told you a minute ago that he was up there on the mountain with all them people. He was up there on the mountain with his servant. But now the Bible said he goes to Beersheba and he tells his servant, stay here. In other words, I think what Elijah says is she wants me, not you. That's not all your blood on my hands. And as long as you're with me, you're in danger. So you stay here. I'm going to go on by myself. And so that servant that's always been with Elijah, that servant that's been by his side, them people that were cheering just a minute ago on top of the mountain, them people that were shouting the victory with Elijah a minute ago, them people that were shouting the Lord, He is God. Go home and read it. At 1 Kings 18 when the fire fell, the whole company said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It's easy to preach. It's easy to go forward. It's easy to do right when everybody's cheering. But what about when you're all alone? What about when it seems like you're all alone? Elijah was never all alone. He just felt like he was. Now I'm going to tell you something tonight. You're not alone. We sing that song, I'm never alone. No, never alone. Christ Jesus is near wherever I am. He'll hold my head and I lean on his strong arm. He ever is with me. I'm never alone. But sometimes by the eye of the flesh, when we don't look through the eye of faith, when we don't operate based on the spirit man, or when we look by the eye of flesh, oh, it looks like to us that we're all alone. And then Elijah didn't just feel alone, then he felt abandoned. 
not only have the people left, see alone has to do with who's around you. Abandon is a spiritual thing between you and God. Not only does Elijah look and the crowd's gone and his servants gone and he's all alone. Now he can't find God anywhere. He don't see that fire he saw just the last chapter. He don't feel that wind blowing like it did the last chapter. That leaping up in his spirit's not there like it was in the last chapter. That shout that rang out across his lips ain't there like it was in the last chapter. And Elijah don't just feel alone. Now he feels like he's been abandoned. Lord, where are you? Lord, do you know where I am? Lord, do you know how I feel inside? That's what Elijah's praying. It might not be in there, but that's what he's saying. Lord, I know that others have went, but Lord, it's me. Lord, I'm the one that prayed just a few chapters ago. I'm the one that saw the fire. I'm the one that prayed. I'm the one that rejoiced. I'm the one that shouted. Lord, where are you at now? I'm going to tell you how undependable our flesh is. It's so undependable that we can come in the door, sit in amongst the people of God, shout and sing the glory and the praises of God, feel good in our soul, and by the time we go through the door and sit down in our car, we can be on the bottom. I have experienced it before we ever even pull in our driveway at home, before we ever even walk through the door of the house, we can go from the highest mountain of God to the lowest valley we've ever been in. It's the nature of the flesh. And it's in those valleys that we feel like we're all alone. It's in them valleys that we look back. Elijah was looking back up the mountain and saying, well, all the rest of the people are still up there. All the rest of them are still shouting. All the rest of them are still singing. But I'm down here alone, God. We come to the house of God sometimes and feel the help of God and get in our car and go home. And I have done it in my own spirit and so have you. I have said it in my own mind and so have you. I bet everybody else is still with God. I bet everybody else is still feeling good. I bet everybody else is still humming to the house. But God, I'm on the bottom. Why am I the only one on the bottom? Not just that everybody's gone, but God, where are you? God, why have you let me get here? God, why have you allowed the bottom to come? Why have you allowed this trial to come? Why have you allowed this trouble? Lord, I feel like you've abandoned me. And then that ultimately leads to Elijah not just feeling alone and not just feeling abandoned, but Elijah feels like all he's done has been in vain. He said, Lord, it's enough. He said, I can't take it anymore. He said, I preached what you told me to preach. He said, I pointed my finger in Ahab's face and told him what you told me to tell him. He said, I watched you send fire from heaven. I watched you cut off the rain. I watched you send it again. I watched you put your hand on me and let me outrun the chariot. But God, where's all that now? Why did you do all that? If you're going to let me sit at the bottom. That's the way we analyze things. We get on the bottom and then we wonder what was the use in all those things. Lord, we're just in church Sunday and we're just shouting and feeling good in our heart. But Lord, we're on the bottom on Wednesday. Why? What was the use in Sunday if we're going to be here tonight? And I sure am glad that even though Elijah 
should not be feeling this way. In all right, Elijah should not be questioning God. Elijah should not have these feelings, but he does because he's flesh. And I'm not justifying these feelings, but I'm saying they are reality because we live in the flesh. I'm not saying we should feel that way. We ought to praise God even in the valley, but we do feel this way because we live in the flesh. But I'm so glad even though Elijah shouldn't feel this way and still does. Even though God had already done great and mighty miracles. God could have just said, get up. Don't you remember what I just did? Why you fit? God could have done everything. God could have beat him over the head, but God didn't. It's not the way God operates. But instead, God's going to prove to Elijah that he's not alone. That he's not abandoned. And it wasn't all in vain. Elijah lays down. I think just personally, probably cries himself to sleep under that juniper tree. And I've heard preachers and I've been hard on Elijah and I've preached that Elijah shouldn't have had a pity party. But the reality is, as long as we live in the flesh, we're going to feel this way at times. And the Lord don't run over and shake him and say, what in the world are you doing? Get up from here. The Lord don't take him out behind the woodshed and lay him out and say, you're my child. You never should feel this way. That ain't how the Lord responds. The Lord just sends an angel down there with some bread and some water. And he shakes old Elijah and he says, rise and eat. And Elijah is in such a shape. And you've probably been there and I know I have. But he's in such a shape that here is an angel of God. Here is bread from, from heaven. I mean bread that has appeared out of nowhere. Water that's come from... He's in the wilderness. And he looks at the angel, eats the bread, drinks the water, and then lays back down and goes back to sleep. I'd say Elijah's in a pretty bad shape. And you and I have been there. And God in His long suffering, and God in His grace and His mercy says, Arise again and eat, for the journey's too hard for thee. And Elijah gets up again, and he eats that bread again, and he drinks that water again. And the Bible said that that strength from that bread and that water lasts him 40 days and 40 nights. You know where it took him? It took him to Horeb. To the mount of God. It took him to a place where God was going to speak to him again. Oh, I'm glad for the times that the Lord may not have said much. Just get up and eat. I'm glad for the times of the bread from nowhere and the water from nowhere and to give me the strength I didn't have and to get me to the next place where God could speak to me again. It was there in Horeb at the mount of God where the Lord passed by and spoke to Elijah in the still small voice. And there is recorded what God said to him. There is exact details of what God said to him. But here's what he said in a nutshell. Elijah, you are not alone. He said, number one, I'm still here. You may feel abandoned. You may feel alone. You may not be able to sense me. You may not be able to hear me. You may not be able to see me. But Elijah, I am still right here. Yeah. 
And he said, not only am I here, Elijah. He said, but I got 7,000. And they've not bowed their knee to Baal. And they've not kissed his image. And they need you, Elijah, to get up from where you are and to pick yourself up out of the bottom and to go down there and preach to them and help them. You're not alone. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest weapons that the devil has against us and I'm going to go one step further and say one of the greatest weapons our own flesh has against us is to convince us that we are all alone and that we are the only ones in the shape that we're in. That nobody else has ever felt this way. That nobody else has ever went through this. That's why God recorded what He did in the Bible to let us know that we all go through these times. Even a man of God that can call fire down from heaven. I understand it was in the will and the plan of God. But you understand what I'm saying? We put high regard in this man by the name of Elijah that we call the prophet of fire. That God took him up. He didn't even die. That God received him into heaven by a whirlwind. And even he felt this way. So will you. So will I. And the Lord says, Elijah, you're not alone. And he said, Elijah, I've not abandoned you. I fed you the bread and I gave you the water. I brought you to home where I could speak to you again. I have not abandoned you. I'm still right where I've always been. See, a lot of times we want to follow the flesh and we want to sense Him. We want to feel Him in our flesh or we compare feelings. That's a dangerous place sometimes to be in. And I, I remember times in my ministry where if I didn't feel a certain way when I preached like I felt the last time I preached, that's not the basis to go on about the moving of the Holy Ghost and the approval of God and the sense of the approval of our Father. That's what to go on. Don't try to base your feelings on how you feel today versus how you felt yesterday. Oh, I went through a time in my ministry that I'd get up and preach knowing, knowing with all that's in me that I preach what God wanted me to preach. But maybe it was in a slower gear like it is tonight. And if I didn't reach that high gear and feel like I was swinging from the chandeliers like I'd felt at other times, I thought I wasn't alive and I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I wasn't pleasing to God. But thank God, it's not all about the feeling. If you're doing what you're supposed to do, walking how you're supposed to walk, it may not feel the same today that it did yesterday. But if God is still speaking to you, if you're still getting a little bread here and a little water there, if you're still getting brought to hold where He can commune with you again, if you're still in fellowship with Him, even though the feelings may be different today than they were yesterday, it's just proof and evidence you're not alone and He's not abandoned you. Amen. There may be some of you tonight. I'm not saying I've arrived. I still struggle with things. I still struggle with how I feel sometimes when I preach. I still struggle with the way I deliver sometimes. I still struggle with maybe feeling like it's not going any further than this pulpit. But I'm going to tell you the blessedness in my life is when God brought me to the place to understand that if I obey Him and that if I please Him, that's really all that matters. He'll take care of the rest. See, we gauge our walk with God too much on are we pleasing others in the church? (coughs) Are others in the church happy with us? Are others 
in the church pleased with us? Do others feel good about us? Do we rise to the level that we put others on and we base all of our walk and all of our feelings on that when it's not about that? It's about pleasing God in your own life. And if you please, if you please God, He will let you know that He is well pleased with what you're doing. Whether anybody else takes notice, whether anybody else brags on your testimony, whether anybody else takes notice of what you, how you moved up to, and we will notice, but we may not say anything. But it's not about us; it's about God. There have been times I've got in the car, and I'm just preaching tonight. I'm about done. There have been times I've got in the car, and I've turned to my wife and said, because of how I was feeling on the inside. I said, how'd that go this morning? How'd that go today? Did that make sense? Did that come across right? And she'll say, yeah, but you know what? As much as I love her, it might help me just a minute, but eventually those words fade away. And that old feeling comes back again. See, that's the problem with basing your walk with God on how everybody else feels as long as they're there telling you they're proud of you, telling you you did good. There's nothing wrong with that. We all need encouragement. But when they're gone, what then? That's when them feelings come back and you're thinking, did it really make sense? Did the people really get any help? Did I do what I'm supposed to do? And that's when I'm glad for there have been times in the car riding down the road that I felt an arm reach around me and there was nobody there. But there was somebody there. And he let me know I was well pleased in his sight. And it's those times that don't fade away. And that's what you'd base your Christian walk on. That's the things you want. That's what God didn't send His servant. Oh, He could have. And it might have been good. God could have picked up the servant and put him in the cave with Elijah. But all Elijah would have heard was the servant's voice. All Elijah would have seen was the servant's face. And when the servant was gone, it might have vanished from Elijah. But God Himself passed by where Elijah was. God Himself took the time to come to where Elijah was just to let him know that he wasn't alone. Just to let him know he had not been abandoned. And to let him know it wasn't all in vain. Here's what God told Elijah. I was reading through this yesterday and again today. And it dawned on me by the help of the Holy Ghost. This is what God tells Elijah. From verse 15 to verse number 18. This is what God says. It didn't start with you and it won't end with you. He said, what you're doing is not in vain. And when you're gone, it will still carry on. He said, you've got a work to do. Some people to annoy how to pick up when you're gone. Get up, Elijah. It's not in vain. Carry on. Some of us need to look around and understand what we're doing is not in vain. We're not here tonight in vain. We've not come tonight, or at least I hope we've not, just because it's a Wednesday night and it's the thing to do to go to the house of God. We've not spent our time sharing and getting ready from the busy day of work, getting our children dressed and bringing them to the house of God just because it's the thing to do, but we're here because we know that what we're doing is not in vain. Sometimes we may feel like it's in vain. Sometimes that flesh nature will creep in on us. 
And we'll ask the same question Elijah was asking, what's the use? I can't take it no more. Like Jeremiah, this is all there is. I quit. Those are the times that the Lord reminds us that all that we're doing is not in vain. There is truth and there is a reality to what we're doing tonight. And if there's, I remember sitting in the, in the congregation with Brother Hanley Milby behind the pulpit. And these are the words he said. He said, there's some of you in here doubt, that there's a little bit of doubt in you about whether this thing we're doing is real. And this is what he said. And it's real deep. I'm not saying that comically. It is. If we could get a hold, it's so simple. But he said, some of you got a seed of doubt in you about whether or not what we're gathered together, what we're doing tonight's real. He said it is real. There is a reality to it. It's not in vain. We're not just here because it's a a day to come to church. We're not just here because it's a thing to do. We're not just here to see one another, but we're here because what goes on in here produces lasting effects. What goes on in here influences eternity both for us and for our children. What goes on in here is not in vain. And it's not just in here, but when you go home and you get up in the morning and your flesh says you're all alone and God's nowhere around and there's no use to pray this morning. There's no use to read. It's all in vain. Then I hope the Holy Ghost will bring these feeble words from the preacher back in your heart and in your mind in the morning. And you'll push all that aside. And you'll say it's not in vain. But what we're doing is not in vain. There is a cause. There is a reason. Now Elijah needed to know he wasn't alone. He wasn't abandoned. And what he was doing was not all in vain. You may be here tonight. You may have walked down your mountain. You may have set your servant off in Beersheba. And you may be trudging your path a day's journey out in your wilderness to find your juniper tree and sit down under it feeling all alone and abandoned and like it's all in vain. But the Lord has sent a word this way tonight to let you know you're not alone. You're not abandoned. And it's not in vain. God sees where you are. God knows what you're going. They want no, they want no body come to God and said, Now, Lord, Elijah's out yonder in the world. Nobody had to tell God. God knew where Elijah was. And God knew what Elijah was feeling. And God came to Elijah himself. And I'm going to tell you tonight, it's not about whether your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter know where you are and how you're feeling. God knows where you are. And God knows how you feel. And God Himself is on His way to your wilderness to let you know that everything is going to be alright. Even though you feel alone. Even though you can't understand while you're going through, how you could go from the mountaintop to the valley you're in tonight, God's going to let you know that He's still with you. He's still taking care of you to pick up and go another mile. He has the bread to give you the strength. He has the Word to give you the strength if you'll just hear what He has to say to your heart and go in the strength of what God does for you and know that we're not alone 
We're all in this together. We're all going through the same valleys, these same afflictions of Peter said are accomplished in your brethren in the world. Everybody's facing it. And God is helping us all out of our wilderness to carry on another mile. Even though we feel like giving up. Even though we say it's too much, Lord, I've had enough. I'm glad the Lord has the way to pick us up off the bottom, set our feet back on the path, and give us the strength to carry on one more day for the glory of God. Father, I thank you, Lord, tonight for the privilege and the opportunity to have been able to be in your house with your people.